Welcome to the Keto Lifestyle Podcast hosted by nutritional coach Jessica Tai, where we are dedicated to promoting health and overall well-being through nutrition, specifically the ketogenic diet. We will provide you with all the latest science in nutrition, interviews with experts in the health and wellness field, and answer all your burning questions so you can find optimal health. This podcast is not intended to be used as medical advice and is to be used for informational purposes only. Please contact your doctor with any and all medical questions. Now here's Jessica. Hello and good morning, everybody. This is Jessica, your Keto Lifestyle Podcast host, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. So I am actually recording this on Tuesday morning, which is unusual. Uh, Usually I'm trying to record it early, or if I am recording it on Tuesday, it's usually kind of later in the day because things just got away from me and I just couldn't get it recorded sooner. So it is bright and early Tuesday morning. So I just got all the kids out the door to the school bus. I know isn't my life glamorous. So I just did that. And um, it is a fall morning here for sure. And I might get um, some some, um, negative feedback for even saying this, but I actually kind of like this weather. It's like 50 degrees outside and I could do without the rain. That was not fun this morning, getting the kids, uh, trying to get them all on the bus with it raining and and all of that. But now the rain is cleared out and it's the sky starting to uh, kind of get a bright blue now and the trees just look so beautiful because all the all the trees are wet so the the bark is dark and then you got all these beautiful fall colors on all the trees so I love this weather actually, and I really love being able to throw on some boots and a sweater or whatever, and I just like being cozy. So so I'm not, not hating this weather at all this morning, so I might be the only one, but it's been an okay morning for me. So anyway, um, so I go. I hope you guys had a great week and that you guys enjoyed last week's podcast. I do not have Derek with me today, unfortunately. Since I had to record this this morning, he had to go off to work, so I am going to be doing this one solo. So I have a couple of different topics we're going to cover today, but before we get to those, I just wanted to give you guys a quick update. Uh, I will try not to update as long this time because I, I really don't like to talk for you know 15 minutes before I start my podcast. I figure you guys are listening to this podcast probably because you want to actually get the information, not hear... 15 minutes of me talking about other things. But for those of you who do want an update or do want to hear what's happening or what happened this weekend, I'll update real quickly. Um, it was a busy weekend. So we had a lot of, a lot of things going on Friday. We got together with our small group. That's a, um, we call it married with children. It's a Um, kind of a Bible study group that we've been getting together with for many years now. I don't remember exactly how many years. I think it's been like six or eight years, but man, I'm the worst with timelines like that. Um, I'm just, I'll say something like that. And then my husband will be like six years. It's been 12 or I'll say three years. And he's like, oh, it's been six months or whatever. So I don't know, but we've been together with them a long time. And uh, that was Friday. That was it. Was always good to re- to kind of just reconnect. We only do that once a month, so it's great to reconnect with all of them. 
and um, just kind of experience life and marriage and and parenting with them. And then we, Saturday was very busy. We had lots of things going on Saturday. My husband got up early, Derek, and took my car. So I have a um, a bit of a collector, collector car. We both love cars and uh, just always have. And I currently have a Fisker Karma. So um, not a a car that a lot of people have heard of. Um, maybe you have, it is an electric car and it's actually classified as a series hybrid or sometimes referred to as a serial hybrid. And what that is basically is it is a all electric car. The, the vehicle, um, never runs on anything except battery power, but it does have a gas, uh, powered generator that basically is in the engine compartment. And so that gas powered generator can, can regenerate the cells in the battery. So the car, there's no like range anxiety with these particular cars, um, because you can basically go anywhere. As long as you can fill the gas up in the generator, the generator will continue to keep the battery powered. And, um, if you're unable to plug it in at a charging station or whatever. So, so anyway, um, he likes the opportunity sometimes to take that out in the mornings. There's a, there's several local places that do what they call cars and coffee. So you can take your car and, and you kind of meet up with other people. He likes the networking and just likes to, to kind of hang out and have a chill morning. So he did that on Saturday morning. And then we ended up meeting up at the farmer's market. So I took the kids and we met up at the farmer's market. So from there, we had a client appreciation event on Saturday. We do those for our real estate. We have a real estate company. That's my husband's full-time job. So um, we do a client appreciation event once a quarter. And so this quarter, we did a family client event where we had the families come out to a local farm here called Blooms and Berries. It's in Loveland and had... Um, they were able to get in there for free and do the hayride and the corn maze and all those types of things. And they have animals there and you can feed little goats and see all the animals. And they have lots of little activities for the kids to do. And so that was really fun. I think that was a, a good, good activity and the weather couldn't have been better. It was perfect outside to have everybody out there. And so that was a really nice start to our weekend. And then from there, we went out to the river property and spent the night there and kind of just trying to enjoy our time there as much as we can. And Derek's brother and our sister-in-law and their two kids, our nephews, were out there again this weekend um, camping. We had allowed them to have their camper out there. So it was a good time. It was just fun family time, being able to spend some time out there. We had a, a friend bring his son out and hang out with us a little bit. And we walked into town and had dinner on Saturday night. So it was just overall a really great weekend. Um, this week is our final push week to getting the house done. So we do have it listed on Airbnb and it starts renting this coming Monday. We've got it booked actually starting Monday all the way through December. So it's pretty exciting. It booked up very quickly. And so, um, it's, it's pretty cool, but we had a, um, we had a video done, uh, a drone video done on it, um, Saturday. So hopefully I'll have that video out soon. 
so people can kind of get a better idea, a uh, bird's eye of like where the river is in relation to the house and the trail in relation to the house and all that. So it's really neat. We're just having a blast with this with this property and just the kind of the, the business of it as well is fun. We're business people, so it's exciting to us. But um, this week is push week because we have the, our first guest, which I'm excited about, also a little nervous about, but we have our first guest coming out Monday. So I wanted a whole home uh, water filter put in the house. I think that's very important. I would definitely urge you to look into that if you don't have one already. But uh, we went with Aquasana. I have done a lot of research and talked to some experts and Aquasana is always rated very high. So we were excited about that. Um, I, I, I ended up with the carbon filter and it also has the UV light. So there's um, a lot of benefits to having both of those um, as far as the water filter goes. So that's the one I went with for this uh, rental, this vacation home. So I'm excited that people staying there will have some good, very high quality filtered water throughout the whole home. So whether they're showering or they can drink out of the faucets, whatever they wanna do, it'll be perfect. So um, having that installed and we've got a uh, final kind of paint work being done. We had some beautiful chandeliers put in the kitchen and those uh, we had to have some, some drywall patching on the ceiling done around those and then have that painted. So that's being finished up and the washer and dryer coming in tomorrow, I believe. We've got the internet's being installed tomorrow. TV's going out there tomorrow or Thursday. So um, we're going to get all that stuff done. We've got gravel coming in for the parking lot to make sure that's nice and ready for everyone. So it is really coming along. So it's very exciting. We'll have all that stuff done. I had a screen door put on the back and a storm door put on the front that also has a retractable screen. So that's going to be awesome. Get a nice breeze through the house. So I'm super excited to have all that stuff uh, wrapped up this week and we'll get some more pictures on Airbnb. So if you want to check it out or if, you, if you're local and you're looking for, I think it would be an awesome date night to get away with your husband. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes we'll go out and we have a great date night and it's so nice and we get home and the date is over pretty much as soon as we pull in the garage. I mean, it doesn't even matter if the kids are in bed. It's just you walk in your house and you just kind of bombarded with all the just everyday life, you know, it's not that it's bad. It just um, kind of kills the mood sometimes. So I think it would be a great place to go for like a, a nice little date night getaway or a little connection. And it's a great place for families. It's just so beautiful out there and relaxing and calm and lots of fun things for the kids to do. But that'll be um, all the updates, the videos, the new pictures, everything. I think we have professional photos being done tomorrow as well. So all of those will be on the website, and that is www.tiesriversideretreat.com. So if you want to check that out. Okay, so that's enough about that. And um, so, okay, so today what we're going to talk about. Uh, so on the podcast today, I've got a couple of listener questions that I am going to address today. And then I also want to talk a little bit about acupuncture at the end of the podcast. So um, let's just get right into it, guys. Okay, so the first re, uh, email that I received, and actually I've received a couple of, of similar questions to this and similar 
um, either comments or questions or whatever. So um, this one in particular is the one I'm going to read, but this will address a few that I got. So this listener says, hi, Jessica, I found your podcast after hearing you being interviewed for the fasting talk with Jemmy Moore. I'm a firm believer of the clean fast for IF. So that's for intermittent fasting. I typically am a 20 four every day. So that's 20 dash four. So that's 20 hours off, four hours on. So that means she eats in a four hour window. What is your opinion of oil pulling, breaking the fast? I assume if I start producing saliva while oil pulling, that will trigger an insulin response, which then ruins the clean fast. What are your thoughts? Okay. Thanks for that question. And, um, for those of you that have sent me similar questions, thank you guys for those. So hopefully I can answer this for you. Um, I don't have like a real set, um, answer for this, but I have, I have, you know, there's no like scientific proof necessarily for, uh, whether just producing saliva, um, is going to get insulin going. However, I have dug around and done some research and found some studies um, that suggest that it's not that straightforward. It's not that that's some recent studies. So in the in the past, there were some studies that were done that indicated that perhaps just saliva production does begin the production of insulin, um, which may be some where she has heard some of those. Um, ideas. However, there are some more recent studies that I'm going to cite, but let me just start back at the beginning. So for those of you who kind of want a little bit of background on digestion and are kind of like, well, I don't even, I, you know, I'm not really sure why would that even matter? And well, if you're not eating, of course, you're not breaking the fast. And so let me just kind of give you a little, a little background on digestion and how that works for those of you who kind of want to get more information on that. And then I'll give you my two cents on fasting uh, and oil pulling. So let me start by just telling you oil pulling. For those of you who don't know what oil pulling is, oil pulling is where you put oil, typically coconut oil, at least that's what I recommend that you do. You put coconut oil, about a, a, a tablespoon or two, into your mouth and you basically swish it around. <clears throat> Excuse me. You'll swish it around until uh, for like 10 to 20 minutes is ideal. And you do this, you can do this once a day, you can do it a couple of times a day. Um, some of the, there are some amazing benefits to oil pulling. Um, we actually go to a holistic dentist and she recommends that you do it. It is super good for cavities. It's great for your gums. It's great for um, cleaning in between your teeth. You know, there's a lot of um, really great um, properties in coconut oil specifically that really help with the, um, what am I trying to say here? That just, just help with the, basically the microbiome in your mouth. Like it just helps to get rid of bad stuff that shouldn't be in there and help kind of boost up your, your good bugs because you actually have a microbiome in your mouth as well. So, uh, oil pulling is also known to help whiten your teeth. It definitely works for that. I've had several people since I gave the tip on oil pulling way back in the beginning of these podcasts, um, that have contacted me and said, oh my gosh, my teeth are so white. They look amazing. People, you know, are complimenting me, whatever. So had lots of people respond with that. So oil pulling, you swish it around uh, 10 to 20 minutes. And I know in the first time I talked about this, I had actually forgotten to tell everybody that when you're done doing that, you will then spit out what's in your mouth into a trash can or a wastebasket. Um, you don't want to spit it down the sink because just like, um, 
just because what happens if you spit it down your sink is just like when a when the coconut oil is solid in the jar your sink pipes are not warm in general. They, and especially if you run cold water down your sink pipes, it is going to solidify that coconut oil. So you don't want that coconut oil kind of gunking up the pipes in your sink. So definitely spit it in the trash basket. So um, anyway, uh, so that's oil pulling in a nutshell, just a quick overview of that. So your mouth is the beginning of your gut. So it's the beginning of your digestive system. And like I just talked about the oil microbiome, the oral microbiome, you have that in your mouth. It also, that's directly linked to the microbiome in our gut and then vice versa. So the gut bugs you have in your, you know, in your gut also interact with the bugs in your mouth, the microbiome in your mouth. So we're often told that digestion starts in the brain, including what I'm learning currently through my NTP training, and there's good reason for that. So in addition to the brain between our ears, we also have what's called an enteric nervous system or a gut brain. So that takes care of all things related to digestion. This includes absorbing nutrients, removing waste, and mounting an immune response. So 80% of our immune system is in our gut. So most of us know that. I've talked about that before. So having a good, healthy gut microbiome is super, super important. It is responsible for so many things, uh, least of all is including your immunity. So problems arise when this communication between our, like our main brain, so to speak, and the gut brain becomes compromised. So they're connected via a major communication pathway that's called the vagus nerve. So it sounds like V-E. G-A-S, Vegas, but it's spelled V-A-J, I'm sorry, V-A-G-U-S, V-E-G-A-S is what it sounds like, and it's spelled V-A-G-U-S. Man, easy for me to say. Oh, that's like a tongue twister. Okay, so it's called the vagus nerve. So this is often referred to as the gut-brain axis. So if you hear um, medical professionals in like the functional and integrative medicine world, they talk about that as the gut-brain axis. So most of us understand that the brain is like the command center for our bodies, and that's correct. However, if the line of communication between the brain and the gut becomes compromised, the brain cannot provide direction and support for the gut to take corrective action to maintain healthy digestion. So like everywhere else, the communication goes both ways. So if this communication isn't functioning well, our bodies cannot actively alert the command center that there is trouble brewing in our gut. So and that's super important that we have that connection and that is functioning properly. Um, because it's not, you know, our brain isn't the only thing telling our bodies what to do. You know, this gut brain axis, this, this enteric nervous system is also very much responsible specifically for digestion. So in recent years, you know, the medical community has realized that there's several things we can take to restore a healthy communication via the gut brain axis. So the main way to do that is by stimulating, stimulating the vagus nerve. So how do we activate that major nerve that wanders from our brain down through our entire torso? Okay. So this is going to be super mind-blowing. So go ahead, sharpen your pencils now. Get ready to write this down. Are you ready? This is a big one, guys. Gargling. That's right. <laughs> That's how, that is the best way to activate that communication for, with the vagus nerve to be able to communicate that gut-brain axis is gargling. All right. So it turns out that deep gargling awakens the vagus nerve and helps to reconnect the communication between the brain and the enteric nervous system. 
<clears throat> Seriously, that's really how it works. So as a matter of fact, this was the very first thing that my functional medicine practitioner advised me to do when I first started seeing her because my I had some digestive issues. I still am working on fixing those issues a year, you know, nearly a year later when we kind of started attacking this. But that's the first thing that she suggested that I do was to work on gargling. And she wanted me to do it at least once a day, several times a day if I can do it and work up to the amount of time that I'm doing it, but ideally like two minutes at a time, which if you've ever tried to gargle that long, that is a really long time. And it's actually quite a workout for your throat. So, um, but that was one of the very first things that she had me do because she knows that that gut brain, brain axis, it was not communicating well for me. And that's part of the reason, you know, like I have um, hypochloridia, which is a low stomach acid production, which is extremely common. Something like 80, 90% of Americans have low stomach acid production. It's what causes heartburn and GERD and acid reflux and all of those issues that people are put on PPI and acid blockers for. It's actually, it does numb the feeling of that but it is not due to too much acid. It's due to low acid. So we've talked about that in the past. But um, but anyway, I was struggling with that among some other things. But she knew that part of the problem is, is that that gut-brain axis for me was not communicating well. So when my um, when I should be when my brain should be telling my gut that it is time that we are starting to eat or we're starting, we need to get the digestive process going and I need to start the flow of bile and I need to start, you know, production of the acid in my stomach to start digesting that food. It wasn't happening. So, so when we have good communication, that means that our rest and digest, it's also called our feed and breed or the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, so that is, that's the other half of the, um, autonomic nervous system. It, those two systems are actually separate. It's separate from the enteric or also called the intrinsic system is different from the autonomic, autonomic nervous system, but they work together. So they act independently, but they are influenced by each other very much. So, so the parasympathetic or your rest and digest is what for me, for instance, I needed to really get tapped into and really get that system stimulated and get it working properly. And, you know, I'm not an anomaly. I'm pretty, pretty average for the American population. You know, most of us, and again, I've talked about this before in past podcasts, but most of us don't have good parasympathetic tone. We just are, we are constantly tapped into the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fright or flight. That's the, you know, always on the go. That's what stress does to us. That's, you know, being in a hurry all the time, eating on the go, running to this appointment and that appointment, trying to hurry your kids out the door in the morning, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to get everything into the last minute of the day, you know, running, um, burning the candles at both ends, so to speak, burning the midnight oil, all that, that is always tapping into our sympathetic. So we really are just not in tune with our parasympathetic and we just don't do a lot of time, um, you know, kind of using that. It's like a muscle. If you, you don't use it, you lose it. And that's really what happens. We just kind of lose that tone and, and aren't able to tap into it. So we really have to practice that and gargling, believe it or not, it really helps us to do that because it activates that vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is what tells your parasympathetic system time to kick in. Okay. So this is where I'm going to pull the oil pulling and the gargling in. So thanks for hanging with me there while I kind of 
talked about that. So if you've done the oil pulling, then you know that it can be a real workout for your mouth. Okay. So that is, and especially your jaw. So if you are doing oil pulling and you're like, oh, really? I'm, I don't think it's that big of a workout, then you're not doing it right. So you should be feeling like when you do oil pulling, it should be pretty demanding and you should be doing it pretty vigorously. It should really be giving your jaw and cheeks a workout in that 10 to 20 minutes that you're swishing that oil around. So if it's not, you need to step up your game because if it's not, then you're really not doing a lot of good. I mean, it's doing it even if you're just barely swishing around. I mean, that's better than not doing it at all. But the, the 10 to 20 minutes that you're doing this oil pulling, you should really, when you're done, you should be feeling like you got quite a workout in those muscles in your face and jaw and even really your throat. So you should be feeling all of that, your cheeks, everything. So when you're doing it, I would suggest you put it in and you... Um, maybe do the first minute, like super or 30 seconds, however you need to work up to this, but just do some super vigorous swishing back and forth in between your teeth, you know, all that kind of up and down. I mean, you'll look pretty funny when you're doing this and then maybe you do it kind of come down a little bit and then do it a little bit slower for the next 30 seconds to a minute, kind of a little more easy, relaxed, and then go at it again for like another 30 seconds or a minute. So this is almost like hit training for your mouth, right? So you're, you know, 30 seconds on, maybe a minute off, 30 seconds on, maybe a minute off. So you're, you're giving it all you've got for that 30 seconds. Okay. So if you're just passively swishing it around, it will help like with some teeth whitening and stuff like that, but you really, really want to get the, the maximum benefit. So you need to do the vigorous. Okay. So you don't, um, let's see, uh, we're so, okay. So 15 to 20 minutes or 10 to 20 minutes. I've talked about that. Um, so, okay. So how does this tie into gargling and what do they have to do with each other? Okay. So the reason I'm bringing this up is, uh, the listener's question was specifically about whether or not gargling, or I'm sorry, the oil pulling could break her fast. And she wants to be super, you know, like a super purist about the fasting. So here's where, here's where they tie together. So if the gargling activates the vagus nerve, which helps to connect the gut brain communication, then the idea is really that any vigorous working of the muscles in the back of your throat would also stimulate the vagus nerve and therefore start a good digestive process. Okay. So does that make sense? So if you're oil pulling and you're really vigorously doing this and it is stimulating those muscles in your, in your throat, that is going to stimulate your vagus nerve. Okay. So I believe that that is actually a very good thing to do. So to answer your question straight up, I guess that it could make your body think that you're going to be taking in nourishment, even though you aren't, but that doesn't equal insulin production. Let me tell you why. So in order to stimulate insulin, your body needs to sense a taste that it recognizes as sweet, okay? So there are numerous studies, um, newer studies that point to this, but one specifically that I came across um, when I was looking at these, there's lots of PubMed studies, there's lots of um, uh, all kinds of American Medical Journal studies, and, and lots of them are more recent than this, but this was a very basic study. It was done in 2007, and um, it was a rat study. So I know rats are not people, but they tested, what I liked about the study is just very straightforward and very simple. They tested several, I think it was five different tastes 
for these rats, um, different stimuli. And the only taste that that stimulate that affected the production of cili of uh, the cephalac phase insulin release. So that CPIR, um, that is a characteristic of what happens with the CPIR uh, with that process is that insulin is released prior to serum glucose levels rising. So what that means is is that if you if your brain and like I said, there's several studies since then that have also shown this and, and actually some, even some studies in people. But if you, if your brain, if your, your brain senses a sweet taste, or even it has been shown recently, and I don't know that it is, um, that they have caused, that they have, you know, like actually pointed it is a cause, but it is at least a correlation that not only is it taste, but actually also sweet smell stimulates this, this CPIR production phase. And that is where insulin is started to be released. So even prior to it happening and to it being in your blood. So insulin is released anytime you eat, but specifically, um, obviously the more your blood glucose rises, the more insulin your body has to release in order to bring that blood glucose down, which is why eating such high, uh, diet, such high in sugar and carbohydrates is such a strain on our bodies because we are just in this constant release of insulin and we keep having to pump the levels up higher and higher and higher. And it's quite a toll on our pancreas. It's, it's a bad, it's just a really bad, um, series of, a series of events that we just keep putting our body through all the time, especially if we're eating a standard American diet or typically typical processed foods, lots of carbs, those types of things. But this, so, so anytime that our blood glucose rises, the, you know, the glucose serum levels, uh, serum glucose levels, sorry, then we will release insulin, of course. But this particular study is showing that even when our serum glucose levels haven't even begun to rise yet, our tongues just tasted the sweetness, or these, in this instance, the rats tasted the sweetness, it did release insulin. So it's also been shown, okay, like I said, even the smell of something sweet can stimulate that same response. So don't walk by any bakeries if you're fasting either. <laughs> I would actually say that would be the bigger issue than oil pulling is because the oil that you're putting in your mouth is not sweet and therefore it shouldn't stimulate that response. So, but of course, like I said, recent studies have shown that even smelling something sweet can do that. So oil pulling, while it may not elicit an insulin response, it could potentially cause you to release stomach acid as the activity of swishing in your mouth could stimulate your vagus nerve that it's time to trigger digestive processes. Does that make sense? So even though her question was about insulin, my answer to that question would be no, I do not think that there's a reason that oil pulling would break your fast. If your concern is that oil pulling could trigger insulin production, because as far as the studies that have been done so f thus far, there is no, um, there has been no studies to prove that just simply producing saliva triggers insulin production. That isn't how it works. That process actually needs to 
feel like there is something sweet coming into your mouth. So even if you raised your your blood glucose levels to that would then trigger insulin when you're eating, until your blood glucose is raised, which could be done with things that are not sweet. So you could eat. Um, I'm trying to, excuse me, I'm trying to think of like some starchy foods, right? Like something that's very starchy that is not sweet. Let's say pasta, for example. You eat pasta, your blood sugar is going to skyrocket. And then, of course, insulin is going to be released and it's going to pull that blood sugar back down to where it should be. But your body, that's not going to happen until the blood glucose levels go up because you're, you're not sensing with your taste buds that that pasta is sweet, that that spaghetti, let's say, is sweet. So it's not going to trigger that response. So to answer that question, I would say no. There is, if your only reason for not oil pulling is you don't want to, to trigger insulin production, then I would say you are fine. You do not need to worry about that because oil, unless you're putting something sweet with the oil, will not trigger insulin. There is no sweetness to that, to the, to the coconut oil. But so if you are dealing with... Um, Hydrochloria, though, like I was telling you about low stomach acid, like most people do. So this may actually be a good exercise to help your body get into the practice or stimulating the HCL production, much the same way that gargling would be. So if you already have a normally functioning digestive system and production of stomach acid, then this could actually cause heartburn and pain in your stomach because it will raise the acid levels and there's not really anything to digest. So that can be a problem. But if you have low stomach acid production, then I wouldn't worry about it because you're not going to produce enough stomach acid to to have any issues with it. Like I said, most of us aren't even producing enough and the, and the reason is that we're getting the heartburn or the acid reflux or any of those issues is that the food is sitting in our stomach and rancifying or putrefying and that's causing this buildup of gas and acid and that's that's the issue we're having. It's not the stomach acid. So in... I guess kind of in conclusion, it leads me to just say, if you want to do a truly clean fast, intermittent or otherwise, then you may want to do only do oil pulling during your eating period. So if you're eating during a four hour window, like Julie is this, um, the listener whose question I'm answering, then you may want to oil pull right before you eat or just during your first food of your eating period. But again, if it's insulin only that you're worried about, then no worries. You can do it anytime you want. But, you know, hey, if you just want to be on the safe side and you're not really sure what to do, especially if you're intermittent fasting, if you're doing a 20-hour fast and then you're eating for four hours, just oil pull before you take in your first food of the day. So it's really very beneficial for many reasons because not only is it really good for the microbiome in your mouth, um, it's it's really good to just try to start stimulating digestion. And like I said, most of us have broken digestive processes anyway, and we really need to tap into that parasympathetic system and, and get our, our bodies more kind of back to the way they should be working. So it's a good time to just go ahead and do that oil pulling. You know, if you're going to eat in that four hour window, maybe start your oil pulling while you're preparing your first meal for that day. So when you're getting ready to break that fast, put a tablespoon or two of coconut oil in your mouth, do that coconut, do do the oil pulling, and then go ahead and eat. So, and then related to the intermittent fasting protocol that Julie's doing, um, 
I don't know, and I know she didn't ask for my opinion on this, but I just want to give a, a little bit more advice in relation to this. And if, um, you know, Julie, if you don't want to do this or, you know, you like what you're doing, you're getting good results, that's fine. Go, go ahead. But I do want to tell people that I would not do the exact same window of IF every day. So I've talked about this a little bit before, I believe, but so I don't know how long Julie's been doing this and perhaps it seems to be working great for her. But in my experience, not just with clients, but my own personal experience is that changing your IF window can avoid hitting weight plateaus, weight gain, metabolic slowdown or metabolic disruption, and even sleep disturbances. So I don't typically see this happening right away with clients. I mean, most people get pretty excited about, you know, the fact that, now that they're eating ketogenically, they are not carb burners anymore. They realize, hey, I'm not that hungry, especially in the morning. So skipping breakfast typically is the easiest thing to do. And it kind of happens naturally. Uh, I've never been much of a breakfast person anyway. So that was a super easy thing for me was it just kind of finally, really, I felt like it gave me permission to skip breakfast because I never really liked eating breakfast anyway. And then I thought, okay, now I really know that I don't have to eat breakfast and I'm not hungry and I feel great waiting to break break that fast, so to speak. So um, even though people can do that in the beginning and, I, and a lot of times you do kind of get in a routine where, you know, people eat dinner generally around the same time in the evening and and then generally we get up at about the same times in the mornings and then, you know, you kind of, maybe you start to get hungry at a certain time or maybe you take lunch at work at a certain hour or something like that. So it kind of, you kind of naturally fall into this um, intermittent fasting window of how, of when you eat and how you eat. But so even though it doesn't really, I don't notice an issue with it right away with people, um, typically I start seeing it happen around as late as like the sixth to eighth month window of being ketogenic. So I know that's a really big window of time, but every person's different. So, you know, I, that's kind of where I see it as far as through my experience with clients and with myself. Like I noticed that I really have to change up my fasting window. And I did talk about this actually on the podcast that she's referring to that she originally heard about me through, which was Jimmy's, Jimmy Moore's fasting podcast. I actually talked to Jimmy about it there as well, is that I always vary my fasting window so that I don't fall into those. I think you need to keep your body guessing and you need to, that's, I mean, that's the way our metabolism works. We, if it starts to, uh, know kind of what your schedule is, then your body, your body's smart and, and it really, it wants to keep you alive and it wants you to, it wants you to, to function as best it can. So all of these, all of these systems that we have in our body are our nervous, that's on our nervous system that control us like this autonomic nervous, this autonomic nervous system, the intrinsic or the enteric nervous system, our brain, like all of these systems, they work together to do everything they can to keep us alive and try to, to do what's best for us. So let's say if we were hunter gatherers again, and we were out in the wild, we would hunt and we would not necessarily hunt and eat at the same time every day. We may go several days or longer without actually even eating. So our metabolism would, you know, it, it would make allowances for that. And that's where we would burn body fat and we would use body fat. So a lot of times when I see clients hitting a plateau, one of the very first things I ask them is if they're intermittent fasting or fasting for longer periods, 
are they doing that on basically like a schedule? Because that is the first thing we'll ask them to change up. Because if your body realizes that you are, that it can count on food and calories coming in at, at certain times or on certain days, then it will adjust your metabolism. It will, it'll adjust your metabolic rate to accommodate those times. Um, that's just how it works. So you will generally slow down your fat burning um, big time if that happens. So it takes a while though. I mean, it doesn't catch on right away. You have to be pretty consistent in that fasting window. And, um, and so that's why I, I believe, and I don't have any studies to prove this. I've never done this. It's just clinical experience, but I see about the six to eight month window. So it appears to me that it takes about that long and maybe it has to do with people's consistency. Maybe some people aren't as consistent with that window. So it takes a little bit longer, or maybe it's just some people are a little more metabolically broken or some people have a little bit, you know, better metabolic system. And so I don't know exactly what the what that is. And I, and I don't know how long Julie's been doing this. So maybe she's just been doing this for a short amount of time and she's not run into that yet. Maybe she has run into that and not realized what's going on. Um, or maybe she doesn't do this every day because she doesn't say that. Maybe she does the intermittent fast um, most days of the week or she breaks it. So I would just say to vary that up. If you want to do a 20 hour fast with a four hour eating window, that's great. Maybe do that a couple of days a week and then do like an 18, six, another couple of days a week or a 19, five, or any way you want to break it up is fine. So I typically, you know, I, I do, I'll do like a 16, eight and 18, six and a 24. And I vary those throughout the week. And it just depends. And then sometimes I don't do any intermittent fasting other than when I'm sleeping. It just depends on, you know, what I listen to my body. I'm very, um, gotten very good at the intuitive eating and just listening when I, when I know that I need something to eat, or I know that I'm hungry, that is when I'm going to eat. So, um, you know, don't, don't try to force it, just kind of go with it and learn to listen to your body and you're going to see the best results anyway. Okay. So thank you so much for that, Julie. And for the other listeners that have sent in similar questions, I really appreciate that. And hopefully that helped you guys get some more information about digestion and possibly breaking fasts. Um, okay. So I have another listener question. This one is from Christina and this was actually, I believe this was on maybe a Facebook post or maybe Instagram. So she says, question, can you talk about sleep? My sleep now on keto is, uh, dreams are so vivid and I remember them. So she has a kind of broken, kind of broken sentences here, but, but, um, than I did before. Is that good? Is that bad? Your thoughts? Okay. So I have a, I have a few thoughts about this. Again, this is not something, there's very little research on this topic. Um, so there's not much to go on besides just opinions and educated guesses about why this is happening. So I would say that for starters, it makes sense to me that since your brain functions optimally on ketones and that's its preferred fuel source for sure, that your brain is firing on all cylinders. So I would say that definitely enhances your ability to recall dreams, which would make them appear more, you know, vivid in nature to you. So that's definitely, you know, I would agree with that. And that is definitely a term that I have used before and something that I hear from clients all the time is that they not only do they remember their dreams, which before going keto, a lot of people, or not even just keto. I mean, I have clients that are paleo and um, just cutting out all those grains just lifts the brain fog. 
So they remember the dreams and then they really define them as more vivid. And I, and I think by vivid, what I'm trying to convey, and I think probably most people are just trying to convey that they're just so, you know how when you have a dream and you, you get up and you're like, man, I, I can, I can kind of remember it. I can almost see it in my brain, like replaying, but I can't really remember who was in it or what were we doing or, and then as the day goes on, you lose more and more of that dream. It's like, I have to tell you when I first wake up about it, or I'm, I'm not going to remember it even half hour later. So basically the vividness I think is just the fact that not only do you remember that you had a dream, but you remember what you dream dreamt about. And then it's so brilliant in your mind. Like you can remember details and recall specific scenes and, and things that are so strange. And to be honest, it can be kind of a pain in the butt because <laughs> you feel like, man, I, I, did I even sleep last night? I had all these dreams and I, I think, you know, it just seems so crazy, but I think there's also the fact that a big part of this is that when you're ketogenic specifically, it has been shown, there are studies that have shown that you have more quality REM sleep, which is where the majority of your dreams take place. So I think not only is the brain fog gone and your brain is just really firing on all cylinders, but you're also spending more time in the stage of sleep that you're dreaming anyway. So it's kind of like this one-two punch, right? Like your, your brain's on, super, you know, tapped into everything that it's got and you're in a deeper sleep than you typically might have been when you, before you were keto. So all of that considered, I think it might stand to reason that this would allow for you to feel like you're remembering your dreams and having more vivid dreams than normal. And you're just more rested and better able to recall things. So I did some research on this as well. And like I said, there's just was really not much out there, but I did find an interesting study in PubMed of May of 2005. There was a study that the objective was to examine whether there's a relation between nightmares and serum lipid levels. Okay. So the 15 subjects who met the criteria for the diagnosis of nightmare disorder and 15 con healthy control subjects. Okay. So they did 30 people. So 15 subjects who were having these nightmares, this nightmare disorder and 15 who participated in the study that were not having these. So they were the control group. Um, they used an enzymatic, um, color metric method for cholesterol and triglyceride determination. So they measured high density lipoprotein, which is HDL, um, cholesterol using a direct HDL cholesterol method. And then they did low density lipoprotein was calculated according to the, um, it's your standard formula. So the, so the LDL and the HDL, and they looked at trigly triglycerides. And, um, so this was serum lipid levels and they determined that the patients with the nightmare disorder had lower serum triglycerides lower total cholesterol and lower LDL than the quote unquote healthy control subjects. So their conclusion in this study was that it suggested that nightmares, now this is of course just co correlation, not causation. There would be more studies that would need to be done to prove this or disprove it, but it suggests that a nightmare is associated with lower li serum lipid levels. Well, how cool is that? Because you know that when you go ketogenic, we know 
cutting the carbs, going low carb, high fat definitely improves your serum lipid levels. It's a fact. We know that. Um, so anyway, I thought that was a very interesting study and um, I hope that you guys like that. I'll definitely link to that in the show notes <clears throat> as well. Okay, so the last thing that I want to talk about today in this episode number 16 of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast is I want to talk about a little bit about acupuncture. So I am in no way an expert at all in regards to acupuncture or even, you know, it's really complicated um, understanding and of, of like the, it, so it, it originated in Chinese medicine in some like 3,000 years ago. And I just want to talk about this because it is, I, I believe, in acupuncture for as like an adjunct to this lifestyle or any healthy lifestyle. Um, I have experienced the benefits of acupuncture, healing, um, specifically healing injuries that I have had. I had a, a shoulder injury and I had a knee injury that were pretty bad. And I was able to completely heal those through acupuncture. And my husband is, has been going, he actually went to an appointment last night and came home saying how he has probably never felt that relaxed in his entire life. He had told the acupuncturist yesterday, he has been going for a while um, for injuries as well, some swelling that he has um, and some injuries. And so he told the guy specifically last night that he would like also some stress relief, that he's got a lot of stress going on right now and he would really like some relief. And he said where you know he had put the acupuncture needles in some different areas on Derek yesterday. And he said, man, I just came out of that place like so, like I, he said, I've never felt like that. Like I've never felt that relaxed and that amazing. So, <clears throat> so I was going to talk to you a little bit about acupuncture. But like I said, I am not an expert. So a lot of this information I'm actually actually getting from Dr. X. Um, he did a blog post on it <clears throat> and it's really interesting. So like I said, it, it is, it's a holistic health technique. And like I said, it stems from traditional Chinese medicine practices. So they've been doing this acupuncture for about 3,000 years in Chinese medicine. And it is where there are specific points in the body where they insert these tiny, thin needles into the skin. And they don't go very deep into the skin. They're, they're very shallow. And these specific points on the body are in what's called the, the meridian line. So you have all of these meridians running through your body. And it's basically like energy lines, like they believe it's almost like highways that your energy runs along through your body. And I believe they also call it chi. It's how your chi moves through your body. So they use acupuncture to treat a variety of diseases and pain and stress-related symptoms. So, um, and actually I have, I learned that when you go when you go to school to become an acupuncturist, they actually teach you all kinds of holistic Chinese medicine techniques. So you learn, not only do you learn acupuncture and acupuncture points and how to do that, but you also learn herbal medicines, Tai Chi, Qigong, massage therapy, and different mind and body practices. So like they'll actually teach you like meditation practices and things like that. So acupuncturists are 
just a really good source of knowledge for all of those times of types of things that I think are super good adjunct to your lifestyle. Um, and just like we were talking about today for your parasympathetic nervous system, they're huge. So I think that, that acupuncture can go a long way in helping you kind of get that communication going, that gut brain access and getting your communication going between, you know, with your, with your parasympathetic nervous system. And it's also, um, acupuncture can be used for digestion really, really well. So the, another reason that I like to go in for acupuncture is the digestive. I always have her work on my digestion for me. So I think that's super important. So anyway, uh, it doesn't hurt when you when you get the needles put in. I mean, there's a couple of spots that they'll put them, I and mean, they can put them in all kinds of different areas depending on what it is that you're looking to do, whether it's like reduce pain or help with anxiety or depression or inflammation. I mean, it can help with the side effects of chemotherapy. It can help you with insomnia, all kinds of stuff. But they'll, they'll put them in different, they're different acupuncture points along your meridian line and a couple of them are a little bit like I, they they can put them in the cartilage in your ear, in the top of your cartilage that I don't like. I, I let them do it because I know that it's where they need to be if that's what I need to have treated. But, um, that is the only spot I don't like them. So I've had them put in my knees, my ankles, the insides of my wrists, my backs of my hands, my arms, my insides of my elbows. I mean, they're the middle of your forehead, the, it's just the cartilage on my ears. I have a really hard time with that. So, but that is, um, that is a point that they'll put it at. Okay. So what can you treat with acupuncture? So if you have interest in acupuncture, you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe I might be interested in doing it. First of all, just try it. I would highly recommend that you try it out, find a qualified acupuncturist near you and go just if for no other reason for stress relief, it really is amazing how much stress relief you can get from acupuncture. Um, but in addition, it has been shown to help treat conditions like muscle spasms and pain, chronic back problems and pain, headaches, and including reducing the frequency and intensity of migraines. So that's big. Neck pain, osteoarthritis, knee pain, which I told you I, I went for that. I had actually injured my knee and it had healed, but I still had a lot of swelling and pain inside the knee. And so that helped to eliminate that knee pain. Um, helps with allergies, digestive problems, mood, and depression. So the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services state that, quote, promising results have emerged showing efficacy of acupuncture in adults, post-operative and chemotherapy nausea and vomiting, and in post-operative dental pain. There are other situations such as addiction, stroke rehabilitation, headache, menstrual cramps, tennis elbow, fibromyalgia, myofascial pain, osteoarthritis, low back pain, carpal tunnel syndrome, and asthma in which acupuncture may be used as an adjunct treatment. So that's a lot, you know, there's a, that's, that covers a lot of stuff. And I would say the list goes on and on and on. Uh, they didn't mention any digestive issues in that, the, the um, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services statement, but I would definitely put a ton. If you have any significant digestive issues, I would definitely say acupuncture could really help you with those. So again, go talk to an acupuncturist near you. 
and um, and see if they, you know, what they would suggest that you do. The FDA actually does regulate acupuncture needles as a medical device, so they have to be sterile, non-toxic, and labeled for single use by practitioners only. So um, they should be taking these out of, when I go, they take them out of a, a little um, sterilized, uh, sealed like bag envelope thing. And they actually have to tear that open and they take the acupuncture needles out and they use that. So you know that they're clean and it's safe and it's not something that you should be worried about. So if you are going to a, um, you know, a, a reputable place, that's how they should be presenting the needles to you. When they come in, they'll be opening that in front of you and you'll know that those are new needles as they have to be. Um, so anyway, um, so we kind of talked about all those benefits. So I, I definitely, I would look into that. You can go online and just type in acupuncturist near me and that could help you out. All right. So that's all I have for you guys today. And um, I thank you guys so much for listening and tuning in. I hope that helped answer some questions that maybe you've been thinking about in regards to digestion and maybe even you are having the vivid dreams and you're wondering about the vivid dreams. And hopefully that kind of helped give a little bit of an answer as to why that might be happening. And um, I look forward to next week. I'm actually getting ready to get on an interview call with uh, my functional medicine practitioner, who's also a chiropractor, a doctor of chiropractic medicine. So she, I'm going to be interviewing her here in a few minutes and that uh, she will be, that interview will be episode 17. So that will be next week's episode. And we're going to talk a lot about chiropractic care and functional medicine care and, and how nutrition and your lifestyle ties into all of that. So I hope that you'll tune back in next week for that. She is a wealth of knowledge. She is really, really smart and I love her. She's great. And she also works with clients remotely. So she will be, um, would be more than happy to talk to you further if if you have questions. So I'm looking forward to next week. All right, guys. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week. All the, the normal, I typically beg you for reviews. So again, I will ask if you have not left a review on iTunes, please do so. I would really love to be able to read those, read, um, those reviews and it helps other people find the podcast through, through iTunes. So that is very helpful as well. And then of course, if you need to reach me, uh, want to reach out to me and either send your questions or comments or anything like that, you can do so by sending me an email at jessica at jessicatai.com, or you can go to my website and there is a form you can fill out that will send the question to my email, or you can um, go to my Facebook page and send it that way, or you can go to my Facebook page is www.facebook.com forward slash Nutrition. Or you can go to Instagram and find me at that keto blonde. Again, that's at that keto blonde. And you can get a hold of me that way. And I think that is all I have for today. I think that's it. So, all right, guys, thanks so much for tuning in again. And I will talk to you again next week. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Keto Lifestyle Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed what we shared with you today and are looking forward to the next episode. 